Welcome back to the mystery of the missing attention span. Let's dive in. Welcome to this week's episode of Kids Brain Detectives Podcast. Today, you have the entire Kids Brain team on site to talk about intervention, intervention planning, and the helping side of what we do. A good portion of the time, we spend our energies in assessment and consultation to help figure out what a child's needs might look like. Today, we're going to talk about the second half of that equation, which is how to help kids thrive. So each of us, in turn, is going to talk about various aspects of supporting kids, specifically those with ADHD. So I'm going to do a quick intro of the members of the team. And then we'll dive right in. So today we have Lee Fisher, LPA, and uh, teacher extraordinaire on the team. Hello. We have Katherine Harris, LPA, and LSSP on the team. Hello. Dr. Monty Rodriguez-Rivera on the team. Hello, everyone. We've got Kathy Kersman, our academic executive function specialist. Hi. And Dr. Katie Caldwell. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And then there's me, Dr. Jennifer Morrison. So, intervention ladies, how do we help these kids with ADHD? Where do we even start? I think one of the best places to start is with acknowledging your child's strengths because ADHD comes with great gifts and we tend to look at the negatives of ADHD. And when you can acknowledge strengths, you can build on strengths to help those areas that need growth. I think that's an excellent place to start because most of our assessment process is that plain balance between what a child's capabilities are and what students may be seeing in their way. So it's an absolutely wonderful place to start because these things bring so much wonderful um, talent and asset to the table. When parents come for assessment, they're often trying to figure out the things that are standing in their child's way and expect, I think, for there to be a discussion about all of the things that could potentially be problems or negative impacts on a child's life, I can like spend a lot of time thinking about the good stuff too. So how can we take both of those together? Does anyone want to start with how you can take those existing talents and pair them with some supports that can help the areas that may be lacking? Where do we go from there? I think one of the, I guess, easiest places to start or maybe one that one that makes the most sense is what supports are not in place that we feel like need to be in place and we need to prioritize and one of the first one that comes to mind for me is how is the child being supported in the way that will best serve them at school and then if not what do we need to do about it so educational supports exactly so there's a whole lot in this set of episodes that we'll talk about diagnosis and educational interventions and all of those things. So we'll rush over the top of this to say the starting place often is accommodations. So does anyone want to chime in with some standard accommodations that may be particularly helpful for kids with ADHD? I'm sure. Um, I think you'll hear a lot of times you hear um, extended time recommended and that's not necessarily always beneficial for kids. Um, So you have to know your kid and know what's sort of getting in the way of them not finishing their tasks. So that that one takes a little closer look, but it's always seems to be like the first give me accommodation. Um, 
So you just need to be really thoughtful about that. Um, seating the kid close to instruction away from really distracting peers or high traffic areas in the classroom is helpful too. Um, I think that structuring your scaffolding long-term projects, check-ins with the teacher frequently can be really helpful for kids who struggle with organization and you know losing track of time and tasks. So those are the top that come to mind for me. Anybody have any other thoughts? Also just checking with assignments or information. Often with ADHD comes this difficulty with shifting sets. So doing one task and then moving on next to something that is not similar. So putting all um, school information or school assignments that are similar together and having those be completed in a more sequential order. Flexibility on organizational systems is really important because not every plan every locker organization system resonates with an ADHD child. And if the and if the goal is to have them become self-sufficient in doing these things, they have to find tools and strategies and skills that resonate with them. Um, also, visual cues are really, really important for kids with ADHD. Um, checklists, um, written instructions, rubrics, really structured visual cues will help kids get through assignments easier. I think that makes it top of mind. You know, out of sight, out of mind, if you can create systems where kids can see the things that they need to be remembering and then the tasks that they need to execute from there are right at the forefront of their thinking, I think it's easier to do that. I love your point about working with flexibility when you're developing strategies, but I want to extend that a little bit and say, it's really, really important, especially the older kids get, that we work in tandem with the child to figure out how best to create systems that they have contributed to problem solving with. I think often when kids are little, we make a lot of unilateral decisions, like in my mind, this makes sense that this would be helpful for this child, or this works for me as a parent, therefore it's going to work for my child, or from a teacher standpoint, this works for most of my kids, so it should work for this child. Every kid is a little bit different, and their needs are different, and by extension, I think having some real in-depth conversations about what a child thinks helps them is important, even if that flies in the face of what you think might be helpful. If you can create systems with the child and work in tandem, you can also get a much higher level of buy-in for following through because the key to intervention often for kids with ADHD is to help them see the utility of what you're having them do so that they can continue to practice these skills until they reach mastery. Because kids with ADHD are bright and are capable of learning. Oftentimes, they just need a little extra practice to get to the place where it happens automatically or more efficiently. I think another accommodation that can be really helpful is um, relates to time because time is such an issue for kids with ADHD. So use, use of visual timers is really important. But also when you're thinking about homework, um, teachers often don't have to go judge when something is taking for your child. And I think having those conversations and finding a reasonable amount of time that your ADHD is working on something and being able to sign off and say, they put their best effort in it for 20 minutes or 30 minutes is really important. 
as opposed to completing a task that would take an hour and a half. Absolutely. Can we step into um, maybe accommodations for just a second and come back as we mentioned those, but I want to talk about maybe a whole child kind of process. It's with ADHD are kids that have brains that process information differently and may have some developmental lags in areas that show up as an ADHD diagnosis. How do we support their brain as it grows and develops? Well, I, I think that um, externalizing a lot of these things, giving external support to executive functions, basically using tools and strategies um, is the, the short version of it. Um, until your brain develops its own innate ability to do these things, to remember multi-steps or whatever, you're using tools such as lists, such as timers to help give you that support. I think one of, you know, one of the conversations that I really have with parents is <clears throat> that listen of expectations, right? Understanding that your child is taking a little bit longer and that you're going to be supporting them for a little bit longer. So for example, you know, if you have a child that's taking a little bit longer to walk, you know, you don't say, oh, this child's not walking and I'm not going to give them my hand anymore. You know, you give them your hand. You also just don't walk for them, right? Like you give them your hand and let them walk and figure it out while you're there supporting. So one of the best ways of supporting them is like, understanding where they are, you know, and being there with them, you know, celebrating the little victories, you know, so those times when he sat down to like for homework and was 10 minutes versus five minutes, it's like, great. You know, sometimes we get stuck in like, well, he didn't finish it, you know, to what um, Kathy was saying, or it's like, well, it was, we needed to work for 30 minutes. It's like, I know, but today was 10 and that was great. You know, and he put his best effort in. Well, along that lines too, I think that um, what we don't understand is many kids with ADHD, their self-talk is very negative. And one of the best things that we can do, as you said, is celebrate those small successes. We have to help those kids flip the script in their brain as opposed to, I can't do this. And, and, and even if it's trying to convince ourselves, I can do this. Often when I'm working with kids, I turn that, you know, what can you do? I can do anything for five minutes. And then we celebrate that. So I think really helping kids find the positives and having those positive conversations with them to help them want to do the hard work of pushing through to make the changes and grow the skills is one of the best things that we can do. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, there's a lot of times when one feels like, I just don't get, like, I don't get what they can't do this or that. And if you're feeling like that, then it's good to take a pause and sit down with your child and say, hey, help me understand what's in your mind right now, right? Versus that conversation that comes from frustration, which is like, I just don't get it. Like, why can't you do this? You know, like, and we're all, you know, get to that point. But it's like, if you are finding yourself in that spot of like, oh, I don't get it, then that's your cue to step back. And then get curious about what your child is experiencing. I love that. That curiosity piece, I think, is really important because when you take the time to sit with your kids and ask why things are not working for them, you're also asking them to be insightful about their own situation. And kids with ADHD don't, especially those that struggle more with hyperactive and impulsive tendencies or have really intense attention issues, they don't always think about what the underlying 
reason is for what they did. They'll say, well, I don't say, why did you do that? I don't know. I just did it. So, so helping them step back and gain a little bit of insight into what their thought process looks like and helping them build their own problem-solving strategies is so important. I think the hardest part, well, I think the hardest part about parenting period, whether it's a child with ADHD or a child who doesn't have ADHD, is the difference between wishing your child do something and working with them while they are learning something. I think oftentimes we expect kids to watch us do something and then be able to pick it up or to just environmentally be able to see their friends doing something or an older sibling do something and pick that skill up and run with it. Kids that have attention problems have a hard time learning vicariously at times. They don't watch and learn. They do learn. And the process of learning involves failing and adjusting and trying again and failing some more and adjusting and trying again as you get closer and closer to this competency. And as a parent of a kid with ADHD, that may mean more learning trials and more opportunities to miss the mark just a little bit as you get closer to the place that you're trying to get to. And having a little bit of patience for that process and celebration for the growth that you can see, even if it's baby steps, can help kids a lot to internalize that progress that they're making. Sometimes... I mean, if you think about it, kids with ADHD get a lot of feedback from others, and it's not always positive. Or on Tuesday, a lot of redirection, a lot of telling you what you missed or what you forgot and reminders. Being able to point out the places where growth is occurring is a real powerful learning opportunity that parents can impart for their ADHD kids. And circling back to your learning and retrying and as you move forward, that self-reflective process is really difficult for kids with ADHD. And when I'm working with kids, I'm all, I always ask, what successes have you had? But then I also ask, what did you do to have that success? Because oftentimes they're not linking their behavior to the outcome. And that's especially important with kids with ADHD that are impulsive in, in the moment when they can label what they done, it often provides that pause the next time they encounter that situation so that they can replicate it until it becomes a habit. So what we're wanting to build, I think overall, you could say we want to build independence. We want to build skills that are functionally attacked so that kids can grow and develop and do the things that they need to do independently and successfully as possible. So we've talked a little bit about how the environment can flex around a child with ADHD. Now I want to talk about tools we can arm kids with. So if we're talking about specific skills that may be um, lagging behind in kids with ADHD and specific areas that can build competency through direct skill set development, what might that look like? So technology can be a big area where we can support kids. Um, Oftentimes, kids with ADHD were really quick to say no screens, and that's true a lot of the time, but there's some really great tools out there that come with their school computers, their phones, that can help support them with time management, with reminders, um, with you know little pop-ups on their screens, timers can play into that. Um, also, with homework completion, um, there's a lot of dictation tools and for editing 
things they or for reading, they can have things dictated to them. There's just a lot of tools that can help support them. So we want to be cautious with not saying no to technology, but looking at the tools that are there that can help support them in those areas. And also things like even just different colored pens and pencils, the taking notes with different colored pens, not doesn't even have to be categorized at that point. But every time you switch colors, your brain kind of has to refocus again. Um, using stickers, um, things that visually your interest to keep you moving. So um, I have I will have parents buy a window mark. Kids write to do lists of things on bathroom mirrors or on windows or on their bedroom mirror. Finding those things that seem fun and creative and interesting that go along with the technology reminders. When you have both those reminders going on the where they've written something and they've used colors or they've used a sticker and then they're getting the ping on the phone or the ping from the computer, you have an even better chance of something getting accomplished. Well, I think some of it is working with what they're, what draws their interest. Mm -hmm. And if it's, you know, somebody that likes to draw or to write or to carry a planner, then go with that. If it's somebody that always has their phone in their hand, then let's work with what's already, already there. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about beyond using any tools, like tools that would be in your hand. Let's think about some innovative tools that we can help kids with. So if we're talking about how best to teach kids with ADHD to be more aware and more in control of the attention and behavioral control systems that can be weaker for these children, what might that look like? What mechanisms can we use to support those specific skills? Yeah, I think that most of us are familiar with the experience of if your child is having some like motor problems, like they're not, you know, walking on time or they're not coordinated, then you'd go and take them to physical therapy. And in physical therapy, what they do is they exercise, you know, those muscles that are weak or they practice and practice those, you know, um, tasks that are difficult to the point that they get the mastery, right? Um, and we can do the same thing for attention skills. Okay, so there are a couple of things like first, just even basic things like involving your child in community activities that require a certain degree of impulse control or, you know, slowing down creation. So we call those, you know, mindful movement activities, like things like Taekwondo or Tai Chi, where you have to control your body and there's a specific timing that goes with that. Um, even when you're talking about theater, you know, theater is a good opportunity, like if the child is interested in, where the child can get movement in, um, but that there's also a certain level of imitation, you know, like that they have to do and pacing, you have to wait for that part of the dialogue, you know, so you're just constantly exercising those parts of the brain um, that have to be, have to do with sustained attention or impulse control. And then at this brain, we also have, you know, a program that we've developed called BISPI. We're, we're doing that same thing. We're constantly practicing with the kids through mindful movements and positive psychology and cognitive exercises, those things that are hard for them. And we're, you know, starting from the easier things to the more complicated things to build up those skills. Because I think one of the things that is frustrating sometimes is, you know, parents like, oh, we've tried this, it didn't work. We tried this and it didn't work. Because some of the strategies rely on the kid being able to do things that they're not ready to do yet, right? So a good place to start is then 
let's get them ready. You know, let's, let's practice those skills so that then they can use those tools. So I'm hearing the behavioral impulse control, some of that mindfulness to exert a little bit more attention on attention, like focus on focus mm-hmm. as a basic skill set. But a lot of our kids at Kids Brain also struggle with emotional regulation. It's frustrating at times and they're having difficulty with regulating themselves. So I think one of those important requisite skills that we should be targeting for those Nishi kids that also struggle with big emotions is how to recognize and deal with that. Does anyone want to chime in on what that might look like? Sure, absolutely. Um, emotional regulation is a big one to work with in kids. Um, first step in that is one, just recognizing the emotions that we have, recognizing what we're feeling, um, either sad or big emotions, um, or just being calm and just putting labels on those um, and doing this in a way that's not shameful, recognizing that all emotions are, there's a purpose for all of them. And the next would be just identifying appropriate emotions for certain situations or expected emotions for that. And again, never right or wrong, but working with um, understanding you know, the right behaviors and emotions for a situation and then learning how to you know, react appropriately to situations in an expected way. Well, there's some pretty neat research that suggests that when kids struggle with attention, they struggle with insight, and when they struggle with insight, they don't understand what their thoughts and feelings look like as acutely as other children in their age might. And being able to focus skill set development on understanding their emotional state by attention allows them to understand other people's emotional state better. Because often they're not paying attention to those signals. They're missing cues. They're paying attention to the wrong thing at the wrong time. And that impacts your ability to connect and engage with others and to build friendships and maintain relationships. I want to talk, although I love this portion of the topic, I want to talk about some other things that parents could like immediately act upon. Because a lot of these skill set development pieces are slow build kind of process where there's intervention that spans several weeks and then you're practicing at home because all of these must be practiced a lot to gain mastery. But the things that parents can work on today for their ADHD kids are, I think, related to things like food and sleep and movement. So somebody chime in a little bit on what that might look like. What recommendations do you normally offer for the parents of our kids bring kids in the realm of kind of just general body mind wellness? I think regardless of the diagnosis, anytime we're talking about intervention planning, one of the most important steps is to encourage parents to take a a step back and just make sure that their child's cup is being filled in a number of areas because all of us need certain things in order to be our best selves and in order to learn and think. And so some of those things that I talk about with parents include making sure that their child is getting enough sleep, making sure that they're eating frequently enough, getting enough nutrient-dense foods to fuel their bodies, making sure that they're getting sunlight, so not just artificial vitamin D, but going outside, getting sunlight, moving around, being active. Those are the basic needs I consider, but there's also a whole other social, emotional side of needs that need to be met for children as well. And so oftentimes when parents come into our office, they're coming because they're concerned about things. Maybe their child has fallen behind in school, or there's some other area that is concerning. And so taking that 
while that area needs to be focused on, also thinking about the things that bring the child joy, like extracurricular activities or hobbies or just family or personal time with the child and making sure that those areas are as much or more of a focus for that individual child's life to be built. I think that's a really great point. I tell parents a lot, and, and I'm not sure how popular of an opinion you guys will have on this one, but I am a firm believer in building a village because it's hard to parent. It's hard for me to parent my own kids, and I have spent years and years and years learning about and understanding kids' brains. And you would assume that that makes it easier, but guess what? It doesn't. It's still the same hard parenting process. And it's a role that doesn't stop and requires a lot of effort and energy. I'm a huge proponent of trying to fill your child's life with those who have a specialty area where they can help your child and then to shift that responsibility off of your parent plate. Although I consider myself capable of teaching my children to read and write and do math, I also think that they have excellent teachers that can provide those skills. And if they fall behind, excellent tutors or somebody that I can recruit to help in that area because I want to save my energy for the part where I'm just their mom. I'm the only mom my boys are ever going to have. And my job is to create a place for them where they belong without ever having to be anything different than they are. And to create an environment that helps them see their successes and to learn from their failures and to, and to know that that's an expected thing. So oftentimes when I'm talking with parents about their own plan for intervention, part of this is having scaffolding skills in your real world environment. But the other part, like Katie said, is to clear space for connection with your kids. The strongest thing that you can impart upon your child, whether they have ADHD or not, whether they are struggling in areas or thriving in all of them, is that you can be relied upon to support them, to see the things that they're doing, to recognize their successes, and to team with them in areas that they struggle with. And it's hard to do that when you're the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, the person that's doing everything, um, so if you, my advice to parents is often to try to offload some of those things to a village of people that you trust to handle their part so that you can invest your time and energies in the thing that only you can do. Mm-hmm. And also understanding that you don't, sometimes I think people also feel overwhelmed by wanting to do exactly what you're saying, but then feeling like they don't have enough time to do it. So... No, like, you know, you're talking about connection, Uh right? And then people feel like, well, I don't have time to sit outside. I'm already busy doing all these other things. Um, I think we frequently underestimate that those moments of connection, you know, sometimes it does mean like, oh, we're going out to watch a movie or like we're going out to walk in the park. But sometimes it's just those two minutes when instead of picking up your phone and looking at the, you know, Facebook uh, feed, you're like putting your phone down and saying, hey, what are you up to? You know, you don't even have to say anything. You can just come close, you know, and, uh, and keep on going. Like those are important moments of connection. And we should have underestimated that and how much that builds our kids up. And how much that frees your child's brain from thoughts of, gee, is my parent upset with me? Or, oh, I just them or oh they want me to do this and I'm not doing that 
when you've made that connection, your child feels secure and that frees up brain space to focus on so many of those things that are difficult for them. Therefore, they're going to have more of the successes that you want them to have. Absolutely. And for them to always know that they belong, it, diagnosis or not, mm-hmm. that they belong in your in your family, that you value them, and that the tools and the structure and the things that you are putting in place for them is not to change them in any way, but it's to scaffold them to help them be successful and feel confident. Absolutely. Great. So I think that gets us to a good wrapping up for some basic fear on how you can start to approach intervention planning for kids with ADHD and maybe for kids in general. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope to catch you in the next one. All right, guys. So today from the Kids Brain Library, we are going to be discussing the book, Daring Greatly. And for any of you that have read that, you might think, well, this is not a parenting book. Well, really, it's not. I just think there's some great ideas and principles in there that I would like to share that I think many parents can apply. So uh, to start, I want to read you a quote from this book. It's from the beginning of the chapter called Wholehearted Parenting, which is towards the end of the book. So what Brene Brown says is who we are and how we engage with the world are much stronger predictors of how our children will do than what we know about parenting. And the reason that I love this quote is because there is so much information out there right now about parenting. There's information about how to raise resilient children, how to teach children to be independent, and it can feel really overwhelming to know what books to read, what methods to use, do you do a combination of different methods from different books, and it just it just leaves you feeling really overwhelmed. And so that is really why this quote stuck out to me is that this is this can be empowering for parents to know that how how we're doing, how we interact with the world is a much better predictor of how our children will do and how um, just how they'll they'll understand the world around them. It's also the idea that how we treat others and the habits that we have in place, how those will impact our children. And I don't say this to make anybody feel bad. None of us are perfect. More so, it's meant to empower you to do the work, to focus on yourself, and to really think about how you exercise these principles that you want your children to uphold. Also, if we can all just let go of the rigidity that comes with the absolute need to follow a specific program from a specific book, watching it play out not the way that you wanted to, then we can reduce the possibility of shame and comparison in how we parent. So for anybody who hasn't read this book, uh, Daring Greatly, I highly recommend it. And I think that the, the strategies and the ideas in there are something that you too will find very powerful and compelling.